Greetings, adventure. Welcome to the D20 Academy podcast. I'm Shiloh. And I'm Gabriel, and this week is episode 59, Road Building Magic. Alright, this week is our perhaps final episode of our world building series here. This one we get to focus entirely on magic and how it affects your world. This might be a part one, part two, but we'll see how that goes based on how, yeah. how yeah. long we run here. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to go on tangents and these this world building series has gone on way longer than we thought it would. Uh, we have to keep splitting up all the sections. Um, so the subtopics today we're going to talk about, we're first going to go over Sanderson's laws, then narrative slash system, and then talk about culture within magic. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, Instagram, at d20 underscore academy. Uh, follow us on Instagram, we're going to give you updates on what we're doing here, cool stuff there. You can also get on Discord by contacting us on Instagram or whatever. Uh, our Discord's really cool, we're going to have conversations about stuff, and, and you can also find the documents to the class rebuilds that we're doing. Uh, check out last week's episode... No, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Three, two weeks I don't ago. know. Uh, I've lost two weeks track ago. of time. Entirely. Two weeks ago. I'm pretty sure it's two weeks ago. We did a class rebuild. We're going to do that every month for each of the classes. A lot of fun. If you want to, uh, you know, listen, what am I saying? Read along? Listen along? Understand what we're talking about in those. Go get the document on the Discord. We also have a YouTube channel if you'd like to listen to podcast episodes on YouTube instead. Okay, let's get into the episode. Drum roll, please. That was actually my magical unseen servant that did that drum roll there. Yep. <clears throat> Speaking of magic. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I by the end, like when we get to like the hundredth episode, just every sentence is a segue. To like like everything <laughs> will just be a segue. <clears throat> Hey. Speaking of periods, there's a period right here, and this is a new sentence. <laughs> Speaking of new sentences, <laughs> um, yeah, so we're doing magic, you guys. Uh, maybe this one will do better than the other world building episodes. They don't get a lot of attraction. I don't care. I like world building. Uh, no, but magic is. I we like we think when you think magic, you're like, wow, this is gonna be a really long epic episode probably split into like five parts that's what i assumed because i feel like magic is just so integral to like fantasy and stuff but Mm. really it might just be just the one episode i don't know if it's actually going to be that long very well might because as with a lot of things that seem very complicated often the best time the best way of dealing with them is finding a way to simplify it so that you understand and know what you can do and everyone else can understand it as well yeah i mean just magic and magic systems and stuff can like be so complex but like talking about it like talking about magic in like world building in general or whatever there's actually not like a lot of like you know like like little little nitty-gritty details it's mostly like conceptual things mm, mm-hmm. which is fun so let's get into speaking of conceptual things let's talk about Sanderson's Laws. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon Sanderson. Our Lord and Savior. Great author. Great author. Apparently, author. I just woke up. <laughs> author. Author sounds like a name for like a sorcerer. 
Osser. Or like a, like a title. The great Osser Brandon. Uh, love his work. Huge fan. Huge. Huge. Huge fan of Brandon Sanderson and his work. And especially his magic systems. Um, he is a epic fantasy author. Osser. Um, <laughs> and... He is kind of known for his magic systems, making them very detailed and and uh, he hard magic systems. So let's talk about that real quick. Gabe, what is yeah. a hard magic system compared to a soft? A hard magic system has rules, explicitly like describing and detailing what magic does, what magic can do, how you use magic, so that the reader can try and understand, have like a deeper understanding of. How how magic works by right. laying out all the details and laws right and rules and a soft is the opposite of that where the yeah. reader does not fully understand or comprehend the magic and it's more of like a wondrous mystical mysterious thing yeah rather where than things like aren't necessarily all detailed or yeah so Cold. it's like hard magic is like like a science essentially because mm. What magic is in your world is just like like new laws, right? Like new like natural laws, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so hard magic is clearly defining to the reader, and typically the the protagonist as well, um, because the you know the reader is, you know, viewing the world and everything through through the viewpoint character, the protagonist, um, and so typically, uh, you know, hard magic means that you understand how the magic works like it's a science um you understand the rules of it and then soft magic is like you don't really understand it um it's more of, of, of a wondrous mysterious thing and magic systems can be anywhere in between as well yes yes it's not yes. it's like a, a gradient you know yeah um so the classic we're gonna be talking about these a lot we're gonna be talking about a couple examples a lot probably in this episode the classic soft magic system, pro most widely known, is Lord of the Rings, uh, Middle Earth, uh, soft yeah. magic. Whereas, you know, the, as the readers, we are seeing Middle Earth, viewing the world through the hobbits, whether it be Bilbo or Frodo, or whatever. Right? They're the they're the everyman. They're the ones that we're experiencing the world through. And just like the hobbits, we're thrust into this magical big world, right? Middle Earth with knights and kingdoms and wizards. And magic is something powerful and beyond us. Um, like, cause, you know, because, like, what is what is Sauron? What can he do? What does Sauron, like, what can he do? What are his powers? We don't really know. What can Gandalf, like, really do? He's a wizard, but, like, what does that mean? We don't know. Because the magic is, like, beyond us. as It's not told explicitly to us. And so it evokes more of, like, a, a wondrous, mystical um, feeling. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... A good example of a hard magic system. I mean, yeah. There's... <laughs> Brandon Sanderson's books. <laughs> uh, but, you know, not everyone has read Brandon Sanderson. Like, everyone understands Lord of the Rings. I'm going to say, and I'm going to bring this up, example up a lot, that the most, like, commonplace, probably, hard magic system I can think of right now, off the top of my head, is after our last Airbender. Right? I, I, I don't know if there's another more popular example. 
I guess that'd be the... I guess so? Yeah. Well, if we think of another example that, you know, is pretty common, then, yeah. We'll yeah, let you know. Okay. Well, let's roll with that. Off the top of my right. head, Avatar is the most, you know, most regular mainstream, uh, you know, series or whatever that has hard hard magic system. Okay, so there's soft magic and hard magic. Neither is better than the other. You do whatever you, you, you know, you use the one that suits your story best and the tale you are trying to tell. Anyway, Brandon Sanderson makes his stories and his worlds typically have, uh, very hard magic. Um, like, his magic systems are, are pretty intense and, and, and detailed. Um, and he, he loves that. It's something he loves. His fans love it. Um, and so, because he kind of... He's not the creator of magic systems, obviously. He didn't invent the concept of magic or whatever in fantasy. But he has kind of spearheaded hard magic systems um, in popular culture and stuff. So... He came up with his own laws, his own laws for magic systems. Gabe, what yeah. is the first, what is Sanderson's first law? The first law is an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. And this is really important here. Yeah. Really important and applicable to no matter like what story you're building with magic in it. Just like yep. with like a tool, you have to establish it beforehand before it's used, you know? Right. Cause if not, then like, okay, what is what is this? Like, where did this come from? Yeah, Deus, Deus Ex Machina, right? Nobody likes Deus Ex Machina. Stupid. Or they just don't understand what's happening. Yeah, or they just don't understand what's happening. Um, but, yeah, so this is really good. Because this is not favoring... This, is, this rule is not saying hard magic is better or soft magic is better. It's saying depending on where you fall on that spectrum, where your world and your story falls on that spectrum, uh, that magic system spectrum, you, your ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well your audience understands the ma said magic, that magic. So if you want to have a character solve a problem using their magical powers, then the readers have to understand, like it has to have been established beforehand that magic can do that right otherwise it feels cheated and weird and fantasy can often fall into this uh this kind of trope uh of like magic is like crazy and it's like powerful and then like the protagonist like surges with power and then does a thing and you're like okay but <laughs> like that didn't really mean anything you know what i mean because yeah. I don't know what that is. I don't know what they're doing. What are they channeling? What, what Are they casting a spell? I don't understand. Um, it happens a lot. Um, but, you know, this is like right back to Tolkien, right? We don't understand the magic very well. We don't understand what Gandalf can do. Thankfully, Gandalf doesn't really ever like solve conflict with magic that we don't understand. Same with Brandon Sanderson's books with Hard Magic System. He establishes a very detailed uh, magic system with rules that we understand. And... He solves conflict in his story with his magic, but he's using things that we already understand, right? He's not breaking his own rules that he's established to solve a problem because then it feels uh, like, you know, that you've cheat. It feels like you cheat your readers and your audience when you do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, just re reiterate that again. 
explain something before you use it so that people understand. Yeah, oh, I just thought of another good hard magic system. Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, I know a lot of people oh, who yeah, yeah. like fantasy and Weeps. D&D and stuff, like anime. Full Metal Alchemist is, like, the perfect example, actually. Because in Full Metal Alchemist, um, it's the, the law that they state like, the beginning of every episode or whatever is that yeah, yeah. equilibrium or whatever. How, mu- how much you give is how much you receive. So how, however much you sacrifice, you'll reap an equal amount. Right? I think. I, I'm not... I, I haven't I'm pretty really sure. watched it a lot. I don't know yeah, what time... They, they have, like, alchemy rules and stuff. Yeah. Basically, yeah, sure. if you want to use... In that world, to gain this power... You have to sacrifice some of this, so it's all equal, um, and that's a great example of a hard magic system. Um, so that when someone gets something really powerful or does something really powerful in that series, um, and they sacrifice an equal amount of something to get that, it doesn't feel like it was cheated. It doesn't feel like that at all, right? Because they're staying within the laws that they established, and the reader understands yeah. how that magic works. And having a drawback like that, where it has a cost is really important and leads us into the second law. Oh, is that so the second it? law? Okay. I didn't know if were you, uh, were you handing that I to don't me. Know. <laughs> Good. Sanderson's second law is limitations is greater than power. The limitations of a magic system, oh my gosh, are more interesting than its capabilities. What magic can't do is more interesting than what it can't do. That sounds really weird at first. Yeah. But it makes for better stories. Yes. Um, um, okay. So one thing. Okay. A, a ba- like probably like ninety nine percent of our audience uh, is people who play tabletop role playing games like D anD D or whatever. All of the things that we're talking about right now are tip are built into the system you're using. I don't. I, there could be a system that's broken and doesn't have rules about magic, um, but. Typically, all the stuff that we're talking about here is built into the system. So if we're talking about 5th edition D&D, mm-hmm. um, right? As a spellcaster, you have spell slots. You can only have a limited amount of spells. You only can prepare a limited amount of spells. Um, there's already rules set on the magic, right? So 5th fifth, fifth edition, technically, is a very hard magic system. Because you, as the audience, as the players, as the GM, as the people experiencing the story... You understand how magic works. If you're this level, you have this many spell slots. You can, so you can only cast that much, that many, that much spells, and you can't do any more than that. It's rules, as in literally the rules of the game. Right? Uh, <laughs> these are not rules that an, like an author has established in their own story. These are literally the rules of the game. And of course, if you break these, you break the game, right? You break the experience. If your yeah. wizard is third level, and they cast a third level spell. Um, that's they they don't have a third level spell slot so they can't do that and if they would if they were able to do that right that would break the game those spells are really powerful so all the stuff that we're talking about here is kind of built in is usually built into the system unless it's like a very open narrative system or whatever exactly and another good thing about limitations is that it increases like the conflict in story moments mm-hmm when you add these limitations to your magic system, like, oh, this can only be used this many times a day, or it can be used but has a cost, or it can be used but only in this specific way, it adds a certain variable of, like, uncertainty to any sort of conflict. But if there yeah. is nothing controlling the power, no, limit, no limitations, then the answer to every situation is just, oh, magic. Right, the... 
The reason the limitation you want more limitations than not on your magic is just because it makes for better stories and makes for better conflict. Um, in Brendan Sanderson's uh, writing class, he teaches at BYU and he puts all his lectures on YouTube for free. It's amazing that he does that. Um, he talks about this rule uh, and he says that like, it's interesting in your story, if you said, you know, what if a boy could uh, suddenly had the ability to fly? That's interesting, right? But you know what's more interesting? If the boy suddenly gained the ability to fly, but only when his parents were both sleeping. Or only if every time he flew, one of his relatives died. Right? You were constricting the That's power dark. level of this feat that you just, this this magic power. It, it, not magic per se, but a power, right? I mean, in super superheroes, right? They have very hard magic systems. Um, they're not magic per se, uh, but in the same sense, right? We know what Spider-Man can do. He can sense when danger's coming. He can climb up walls and he can shoot webs. And mm -hmm. I think that's it. Right? Oh, he's kind of stronger and faster. And that's what we've established that Spider-Man can do. And so then he has to solve the problems with that, right? But he has limitations, right? He can't shoot all the web he wants because there's a certain amount. And he, you know, can't sense all the... And then there's like weird... There's, you know, other things. Limitations on his powers. Obviously, he has to be conscious to be able to sense the danger or whatever. I actually don't know if that's true. Um, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, even in superheroes or whatever... The more limitations that you put on it, the more interesting the story is, the more the more the conflict. There's more conflict. Does that make yeah, sense? It's just like when we say that it's best to have a lot of flaws in your character. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It simply just makes for more and more interesting conflict. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay, third law. Expand on what you have already before you add something new. This is the curse of world builders. Um, <laughs> depends on, on, on who you are and, you know, your personality or whatever. But if you're, if you're a world builder, there's a high chance that because you're ambitious enough to do something like that, that you just have a gazillion ideas all the time and you're just creating a, a pretty crazy world and you're just constantly adding things or whatever. That's me. So um, I <laughs> add so much stuff to my world. I like to make them very complex. I like to make them very deep. Um, I, I'm constantly just adding a gazillion things to, to my world. Um, but just like a world, just like your magic system, it's better to expand on what you have already, right? Better to go long than to go wide. Um, so it's better to take, right? So in your magic system, let's just say that you, let's be very simple, that as people, one in every hundred kids uh, are born with the ability to fly, Okay. That's the magic system you've set up for your story. That's it. That's the only magic you have. And you delve really deep into that concept about this only one in every hundred kids can fly. What exactly are the limitations of that? What does this mean for the story? What does this mean for the world? And you go really down uh, long with that, right? Really deep into it rather than going fly. And then also every one in every 50 kids can see through walls and like just adding a gazillion other things that are all really shallow. One in shallow. every 23.57 kids can... Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, right? Let's look at Avatar. Four elements. Four. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's a three-season show, so that's a lot of time. That's a lot of screen time, right? But they only explore four. And really, it's just one base magic system. Um, but only four elements that, you have to, that the audience has to keep track of and remember. And they really dive deep into each one. 
What are the capabilities really of each of these? What does this mean mm-hmm. for the society in which these people can use this magic? Instead of going How water, earth, fire, magic? air, you know, spirit, ether, metal, you know, cardboard, and like just adding a, a bunch. <laughs> I, <laughs> cardboard bending. <laughs> um, or whatever, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I know making really complex things with this a ton of cool magic options is really fun, really interesting, but as an author, you have to keep in mind that you know your work and your ideas better than the people who are reading it are going to. And they they can only they only know what you put down on the page and have to assume other things. So don't put too much work on your plate. Don't have too many things that you can't. You don't have the time to detail all of them, and don't, you, you don't have the time to explain all of them, so that your game doesn't end up or your book doesn't end up with a bajillion magic options that no one understands. Yeah. Yeah. Or a billion magic options that aren't thought through. Yes. Um, you haven't thought of the ramifications, or. And I'm I'm gonna piss off some people here. But a good example of someone who did not do this was J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Um, Harry Potter, love it. Great, okay. I'm not... It's great. Great series. Loved it. Part of my childhood. Still love it, okay? (laughs) Um, But not just the magic system, but also the world in general is pretty flimsy and shallow. I I will say... (laughs) uh, I know I'm pissing some people off, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, in Harry Potter, there's a gazillion spells, (laughs) um, and yes, they don't go to, they don't, she doesn't mention every single one, thank God, um, and doesn't confuse the readers too much, but still, we never really dive deep into a, just a, she didn't just establish a few rules or whatever, she adds a gazillion things, and it is really fun, but if you think about, like, it for a while, it's very (laughs) shallow, um, and, and there's not a lot of depth to it. Um, and so... Okay. Am I the only yeah. one that when, we were, when I was reading the Half-Blood Prince and we find, like, the spell that like, Snape had yeah. made? I'm like, Sectum Tempra. Oh, this is sick. We're gonna make a spell. Wait, what? But no. Like, I was like, oh, this is cool. The three are gonna, like, make a spell that helps them or something. Oh, right. Y- yeah. Look... <laughs> But I didn't. <laughs> no, I don't. That was anyway. No, I no. I, I, I. Someone makes the spell. Like what? What? We what we exactly do. We do. No, spell? we. We like Harry Potter. We swear. Um, <laughs> but yeah. No. I mean, there's other than the fact that the world just has like a lot of weird holes. Yeah. And if you really think about it, um, the magic too uh, is very flimsy. Uh, it is a softer magic system, thankfully. Uh, and I think she, uh, Jake Rowling, obeys the first law quite well. Um, once again, really all we know about magic is that, like, you have to say the right words and then move your wand in the right formation to cast a spell. And some are easier, and, like, does it take up some energy to do it? It's not really clear. Because obviously there are spells that are more powerful than other ones. Mm-hmm. How do you not know those ones already? It's a little, it's a little, it's soft. It's a, it's a soft magic system. We're not super clear on how it all works. Um, but thankfully, I feel like in Harry Potter, they don't, it, like, I don't even know if it ever happens where they're like, 
we're stuck. We're trapped here. How are we going to get out? We're closing on all sides by our enemy. Let's just use this spell. And you're like, whoa, I've heard this only once. I don't even know what this does. And they use it and they win. And you're like, what the heck? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that does. I yeah, don't think that's that like one really... thing that, that they did well with Harry Potter and the Magic. Yeah. That, like, they did a pretty decent job of explaining the spells that were important. Yeah. That they used constantly. Exactly. I, I, I don't Why think they used the same really... two spells constantly? I don't know. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, I don't think she ever really broke the first law in that regard. Um, so that, 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 that's good. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of... Back to this third law. I don't think she expanded super deeply out of a lot of depth to what she already had and added just a ton of things. Um, I mean, once yeah, again, and part example, of this third law, yeah, meaning like expanding what you have when you have fewer like magic systems to keep in mind and to detail, you can go further in depth where you can figure out the ramifications of, yeah, any said like magic. Like that. Magic system we were talking about, where oh, kids get the ability to fly when their parents are asleep. Like, okay, now what are the ramifications of that? Like, what do the kids do? Um, have there been accidents because of that? Have yeah. they like formed like a community because of that? Have this? Have that? And and also you can figure out like the interconnection between like all the different yeah. magic systems that you're introducing. You know, like okay, how does this interact with this? How does this benefit this? Um, and it's like... making the right piece for the puzzle, rather than just making a ton of pieces. Yeah. Um, Brandon Sanderson, obviously he came up with this law. Uh, a great example is in his Mistborn trilogy. Fantastic books. Um, amazing. But this was kind of his breakout book. It would it made him very, very popular. Um, and is also the thing that like kind of turned him into like the magic system guy. The magic system is, is pretty detailed and very, it's a very hard magic system. It's very well fleshed out. The reader, you as a reader understand it very clearly. Um, and therefore he's able to solve conflict with it and have battles and stuff with it. And you always understand what's going on because he's established well into your mind how the system works. Anywho, he does this really well in the first book. So in this whole world, this is not really spoiling a lot, I don't think, but there are three different magic systems in this world. And they, I mean, th they're, all, they're not all totally disparate. They all uh, are have something to do with metal, but they are three different magic systems, right? But he introduced them one at a time. So in the first book, all you know about is this one. The other ones are briefly mentioned or whatever, but he just introduces you this, this, this main one, fleshes it out very clearly, goes deep with it, he, he explores all the avenues with it, and you really understand this magic system, and by the end of the first book, you're like, I got it, this is awesome, it's an amazing magic system, but it's like, you're, it's called Allomancy, you're like, this is awesome, I get it. In the second book, we're, we're, we still have this magic system that we understand, and then he adds the other one. And in the third book, then he introduces the third one. And he didn't introduce all three right at the beginning. He introduced this one, expanded all the way with it till we got familiar with it, and just at the point where we're like, okay, I understand. I've, I, I get it. I've had enough. He introduces the next one and goes deep with that, and we explore all the avenues of what that could possibly do and how you could possibly solve problems with that. And then the third one. And I think that's a great example. He, he expanded what he already had after that was fully fleshed out and ex expanded and discovered. Then he added something new. 
and it was a really pleasurable experience for the reader as you got more and like you it's really good it's really a great feeling as a reader a fantasy reader when you like understand the world fully it's just it's just you just, and you like a nerd of the world it's just a great <laughs> feeling um and the fact that he just kept you know would add one in after you already understand this thing or whatever i think is a great example of that um just like in D D, you don't get all the spells ever at first level you just get first level spells to choose from. Then when you get more familiar with the game and how spellcasting works in 5th edition, you get a little more complex spells and a little more spells to choose from. Like that. Brilliant. All right. So what's what's this little thing at the end here, you know? <laughs> Sanderson's zeroth law. Yeah, so he also has a zeroth law. <laughs> yeah. Which is just for fun. Um, it's air on the side of awesome. <laughs> Which I love. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yep. Magic should be awesome. Magic should be interesting and amazing. Because it's so different from what we have in this world. And people love to see magic in stories because it brings them into this fantasy realm. So, err on the side of being awesome. Yep. I mean, it's like the rule of cool in, in, in tabletop role-playing games, right? As a GM... So if you don't know what the rule of cool is, it's like it's a GMing thing where like sometimes you just ignore the rules or whatever or bend them a bit or the dice rolls in favor of a really awesome cool moment. That's what the rule of cool is, is that like cool is better than rules. I'm not saying that cool is better than rules, that it's a highly con <laughs> contentious topic and I'm not going to name my opinion right now before I get canceled, but... That there is a thing called the rule of cool, which you may have heard, which is like when you in 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 D and D or whatever, whatever tabletop role playing game, where like you know, you're like you fudge a roll f in favor of a really cool moment. Not that I ever have done that, or not that I ever haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not gonna say that I have an opinion on this, but that is this same concept. Err on the side of awesome. Okay, as long as the awesomeness does not compromise what you've set up and everyone's like, this is just a deus ex machina. If it's awesome for everybody involved, right? Um, yeah, just ha have fun with it is what he's saying. Just, it went in doubt, do the coolest thing. <laughs> and I think that's a great rule to just have in life, honestly. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> okay. Um, it's like, when in life, just do the coolest thing, even if it endangers... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um... <clears throat> Okay. Alright. Moving so on. So those are Sanderson's laws. They are the most important things to remember while you're making a magic system for your world. Um, don't ever forget them. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, we've got a couple of narrative questions to ask yourself when you're making your magic system and integrating it into a world that are important to think about so that you don't... Uh, run into any plot holes later down the, the road so that you have a greater understanding of how it works. First off being, uh, to, what, like, to what ends and purposes is magic used in your world, you know? Is it something that people use in a mundane fashion where they use it to, you know, sweep their floors, wash their dishes, and uh, thatch their roof? I don't know, searching for something there for a second. <laughs> or is it something that is reserved for special occasions? Something that's reserved for 
perhaps war is something that's reserved for serious occasions and it's only available in large proportions in a big cataclysmic event in a massive war in this in that what ends and purposes does magic have yeah i mean that's just uh, yeah it's just a good thing just about world building right if you come up with a new thing and you add it to your world like what does that mean for your world right like what do people use that for right yeah um, and I, but I think you should also ask this question in just regards to your story. If you're creating a magic system for your fantasy book, you know, to what ends and purposes is that in your story? Why is that in your story? Right. Mm-hmm. You also want to figure that out. I think it's important to your, to your, to your narrative as well as to your world. Next is, uh, something along the lines of what I was talking about is who can use it? Who can use magic? Is it something that everyone knows from the king to the commoner in the street? Is it something that is only taught by, you know, prestigious universities so only the people who have enough money or who get sponsored can get into it and learn magic? Or is it something that is, uh, you know, passed down through a bloodline or through royalty right, or nobility? Who can use magic? Uh, the simple answer, I think, to who can use it, magic is druids, clerics, paladins, oh rangers, goodness. wizards, warlocks, and sorcerers, and eldritch knights, and arcane tricksters. <clears throat> um, no, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very important for your world. Can every Does everybody have magic? Do just wizards have magic or whatever? Um, once again, let's look at our poster child for literally everything that has to do with anything. Um, I've heard last airbender. Who can use the magic system? Benders. Only benders. And actually, this is never explained. I actually don't know how you... Wait, so like... Are they dip? Are the different nations like different like ethnicities? And if you're born with that ethnicity, you have the possibility of getting that bending? Or can a firebender be born in the earthbending nation and they ship them off to the... I actually don't know. <laughs> now that I think about it. How you I actually some get sort your of... vent. Does literally your nationality, which is a conceptual thing, decide <laughs> your bending capabilities? Um, I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. Because it's irrelevant. Um, but only benders right in, in the world of Avatar, which doesn't have a name, by the way, which is weird. Can use magic. Not every, not every single person. Only, only benders, and they're not super rare, right? I think they make up like twenty-five percent of the population, so maybe fifty. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but, a decent but that's very, that's population. very simple. Just benders can use bending. Um, if we look at something like the Wheel of Time, only women can use magic um, because any guy who tries to use magic goes insane. Um, so, you know. Twisted in your own way, if it's just wizards or just women or just benders or whatever it is. Um, you want to figure out who actually has access to using magic. Mm-hmm. All right. Elves, maybe also it could be like a ancestry thing. Yeah. All right, next thing is something we touched on earlier. Uh, what limits are there to its power? What limits and consequences are there to using magic? 
And this is a really important thing to detail, as we were talking about earlier. And you really mm -hmm. want to dive deep into it. Yep. Uh, right? Spell slots. Yep. Um, Metal Alchemist equal give and take. All that yep. kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be super complicated. It can literally be like, oh, a person can use magic once per day, once per 24 hours. Or they can only use magic in direct sunlight or in direct moonlight. Or something like yep. that. There's so many ways you can limit magic. It just matters yep. and depends on what your story is and what your world mm -hmm. is. And, in, in at least for me, I think consequences are even more interesting than just limits. So rather than just saying you have X amount of spell slots per day, that's, that's a limitation. A consequence is you have X amount of spell slots per day, and every time, or maybe even not that, but every time you cast a spell, a part of your... A little percentage of your soul gets, you know, gets destroyed or whatever, or your one of your bones break, or I don't care what the <laughs> consequence is. Um, you know, you start to go crazier. You start to get filled with more bloodlust every time you use. Right, the one ring, boom. What can it do? Turn you invisible. That's super helpful for sneaking past things, right? Well, and hiding. That's not technically what it does, but yeah. Yo, okay, well, you know. In general terms, in basic terms, it turns you invisible. However, the more you put it on, the more Sauron can find you, the more corrupted you become, drawn, obsessed by the, the, the ring itself. Right? Those are consequences. Frodo can put on the ring as much as he wants. There's no limitation to the amount of times he can put on his ring. He can, he can be invisible his whole life if he wants to. But every time he puts it on, Sauron finds him. He becomes more obsessed with the ring. He feels its weight more on his soul, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a good story makes him put it on, right? Forces him into a situation where he has to put it on and then has to deal with the consequences. Brilliant. Brilliant. Truly brilliant. Yeah. All right, another important thing about magic is how do you use it? It sounds pretty simple, but you can make this as complicated as you want, or as simple as you want. How do you use magic? Is it like Harry Potter, where you have to know the spell, know the movement of your wand, have your wand, be able to say the word, or mentally think the word, and then you can cast the spell? Or is it you have to muster some sort of inner strength or inner power to be able to cast some sort of arcane magic? Or is it I have to have a power source, like nature, or some, like, live, like, life, to draw from, to cast magic? Yep. Um, Do you require a book? Right. A book on magic, or book of book. magic. <laughs> magic book. I actually have a couple of those in my house. Um, I know how to do pretty good card tricks, um, side <laughs> but anyway... Um, Magic so yeah, so in D&D, this is verbal somatic material, right? Each spell has one of these three tags or, or one or more of these three tags. And that requires you to either speak an incantation, have a free hand to, to draw a sigil in the air, whatever, you know, flap it around magically, and, or and then have materials to expend, right? Whether from a component pouch or from a focus, a wand or a staff. Um, that's how they do it in D&D in in fifth edition. And let's once again use another great example from the greatest thing ever to exist after the last airbender. 
Um, the how do they use magic? Well, probably the, the the thing you think of first is they have to do martial arts, and that's true. You have to move your body in a certain sequence to to to, to bend, right? You it's, yeah. you do some kind of martial arts move to bend your element in that way, but you also need access to that element, right? Earthbenders need to be next to Earth to be able to bend that Earth. And waterbenders need to have water. And firebenders need to have fire nearby or some sort of heat like the sunlight. Um, and th only Which then... makes a lot of sense as yeah. that's what's limiting power in this world as well. It's a good limiter. It makes sense. It's a logical yeah. limiter. Sorry. Um, okay, you know what? I'm just... Can we just let's just talk about Avatar and how amazing the magic system is? Because I just actually have so many things. I've been waiting to like answer the each little parts of it with each question, but I just need to just talk about how how amazing this magic system is and how it obeys all, right, all the three laws. Shiro, welcome to the studio today. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> and first off, got a list of questions here from the viewers. What is that question that you want me to ask you so much about Avatar: The Last Airbender? Um. Okay. So. The thing about going deep instead of going wide, right? So, let's look, right, after the last airbender, four elements, you can bend the four elements. But instead of adding a gazillion elements, they just have the four, and they dive deep into each one. They're like, hey, water bending? Well, you know there's water and blood. So therefore, you can also blood bend. You know there's also bits of earth and iron. So you can metal bend. And there is, you know... Fire, heat, lightning. You can lightning bend if you're also a firebender. This is expanding on what you already have rather than adding something new, right? That that law. Also ties back to the first law, which is your ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the audience understands that, that magic, right? When, this is a very minor spoiler, when Katara and Toph are captured, they're put into a, a, a cell. And they don't have access, uh, neither of them have access to either of their, um, they don't have access to earth or water. So neither of them can really bend to get out of this cell. But then, Katara is like, oh my gosh, there's water on us, our sweat. So if we run and we do a lot of physical activity, we'll sweat a lot. I can then bend that, that sweat, that sweat water, and I'll water bend it and cut our way out of this cell. That is the creator's. Solving a, a problem with magic, and it does not feel like a cheat to us or anything, because we understand how water bending works. You just need water, and so then when Katara cl cleverly figures out, oh, we can just use sweat. You as the audience is like, that is so satisfying. Wow, <laughs> you're like, that's the most satisfying thing ever. Um, when they find a creative way of, um, you know, using their magic system, what they've already established to solve problems. I mean. It's, it's really one of the most satisfying things ever. Um, so, yeah, okay. I'm done. Sorry. Gabe, did you want to... <laughs> Avatar is just the greatest thing ever, but the magic is also really good. <clears throat> no problem. I get it. Avatar The Last Bit Airbender is really interesting for a lot of reasons. And part of it that really interests me is how interconnected bending is with its history and its cultures and really shows how magic system can be integrated into a culture you know it can be integrated into a history 
just like we're yep. going to talk about in this next section here. Go ahead, hop into it. <laughs> Segway, man. All right. I like talking about history and figuring out how changes you make to a world affecting history. All right. What is the history of magic and magicians in your world? This is, again, another thing that you can detail varying amounts. You can detail a little bit, detail it a lot. Depends on the story. But it is good to think about the history of your world and how magic has affected it. If you introduce a magic system that has a spell that can, you know, burrow through mountains of enormous proportions, how has that affected travel? trade, warfare, now that that uh, way is opened up, they can just burrow through the mountains instead of going around it or over it. How does the magic system that allows you to fly affect those things? Are there now battles being fought in the air by, you know, warriors who have the ability to fly? Is there uh, couriers that fly around the city, delivering messages constantly. Uh, do people transport things in the air? There's a lot of things you can think of, and you have to think of how that has affected the world now, how has it affected it in its history, and how is it going to affect it as you go through your story. You know? Yeah. yeah Sorry, I, think, I, can, I, think... I continue going on this for forever, if you don't stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Another example. Uh, not after this time. Um, Wheel of Time. That was a bit this hard. Is like, I don't think this is really a spoiler at all. But in Wheel of Time, the magic, uh, it's called the one source or the true source or whatever. And there are two halves. It looks like the yin and the yang. There's two halves. The male source and the female source. Females can access the female source. Males can access the male source. Not all females and males, just ones who are born with the ability to do that. Um, but something happened in history where the Dark One, the Sauron character, tainted the male side of the magic, and so whenever a guy tries to use the magic, he goes insane. And so that's something happened in history uh, that has affected the world how the world is today, where now only females are the magic users, and any male who has access to magic uh, is is what's called gentled, which means that the female uh, wizards find them and then take away their ability to use magic because they're too dangerous because they're going to go crazy and hurt people. Right? So that, that's a great example of the history of magic and magicians in your world. And you want to figure out that as well. Uh, mm -hmm. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, how does society view magic? Do they view it positively, negatively? Um, are like people who use magic like outcasts and like witches or are they like cool people and like you know everyone respects them like you know gandalf <laughs> yeah this is a good thing to keep in, uh in mind making a magic system or even just like making a city that has magic think of ah does magic give like a certain status does magic mean that People are going to look down on those who have magic. Uh, does a show of magic mean like, oh, I, this person has magic, I know that they're nobility. Or, I know that they're a learned person, you know? 
How does society view that? How, what do they know from magic? And yeah, sorry, uh, levens ended abruptly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How does no, society yeah. view magic? Very, 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 very simple. <laughs> okay, what's next? All right, you already kind of talked about that one. Um, yeah, we can talk about that. One. Yeah, is magic regulated anyway? I like this. If so, mm. what governing body? You know, is there like a city where magic is heavily restricted because it's dangerous or it's considered dangerous or it's too demanding and the, the, the drawback is too harsh that it's outlawed, you know? Mm -hmm. Is it outlawed? And then how is that tracked? How is that punished? Is there a... You know, the council that searches after people who use magic without license. Is there... And if there is that, then does that council hunt down your character and your story? Or hunt down your yeah. players? There are a lot of times where you come into fantasy where you'll come to like a city that has like certain like uh, religious values that they hold that uh, causes them to outlaw magic. They seem as like a perversion of nature or whatever and that's really interesting it's a trope but it's a really good one it's interesting mm -hmm. and it can provide an interesting moment for you come to a place where magic isn't as accepted as it is in other places and it's regulated it's controlled and that can affect the players can affect your characters and your story yep um i think this is used all the time in any magic school story whether it's harry potter or whatever there's like a magic school subplot of time there's a gazillion of these where the characters are like in magic school or whatever um and there's typically rules right like you can only use magic in class or when there's a teacher around mm -hmm. and like when the kids you know and they're like following the mystery or whatever without the adults knowing and then they have to like they're using magic to solve these problems and to you know get further in this mystery um, they're breaking the rules, right? There's, like, some kind of magic law in the way or in the school or whatever, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, but that's, yeah. Uh, but also there's, like, you know, you can't use magic in this city or you can't use your magic to try to affect someone else's mind. Or, um, you know, you can't use... Okay, I have a question for you, Gid, that I just thought of. Okay. Where would you say the force falls... On the soft to hard magic scale. From Star Wars, the Force. More towards the soft side? Okay, why? It's this literal force that isn't everyone everything. We don't know exactly what it can do. We know some of its powers of being able to light, like, cause forced lightning or to push people away or pull things towards you. To be able to sense things so yes it is detailed in some way it's not like entirely soft magic but we don't really understand yeah. the rules of it you don't understand like why okay look metachlorians i guess if we want to get into that sure yeah i was just gonna mention part. that that <laughs> i would say it's but if we're going, like, right... just off of like <laughs> the original series and then like the sequels no no we mm -hmm. have to can, talk can about more the prequels. We have to talk about the Force in canon, okay? All right. I would sorry. Sure. Yes, yeah. it does. 
because of the Midichlorians and stuff in the prequels, it is a lot more hard than it is if you were looking at all the rest of the material. Yeah. Other than that. <laughs> <sighs> Which okay. I don't like. Yes, okay. Nobody does. I would say, another thing about it, I would say it probably lands right in the middle. I think that there are definitely powers, force powers, that are established. That you understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, telekinesis, right? You can move things with your mind. You can use the force to affect other people's minds if they are weak-willed. Mm-hmm. And if you're bad, you can use it to make lightning. And that's kind of all the powers that are kind of established, right? That are pretty commonly used. Telekinesis is the main one, and then affecting other people's minds, and then lightning, if you're a bad person. Um, <laughs> and I think that's that's more leaning towards hard, right? There, there are things that are established, and the characters who can use the Force use those powers that we already understand um, to do those things. However, the Force is not fully, totally explained, right? There's still some mystical things, um, and the Force is sometimes used as an explanation for, like, weird magical things that you don't fully understand or whatever and so or that makes like a it force more... of like destiny exactly destiny or like in the uh sequels which we're not gonna talk about our star wars opinions in this podcast it's not what this is for <laughs> um but in the sequels ray and kylo ren are like having some sort of, like they are connected somehow and they can like talk to each other for across long distances somehow right and that's just explained by using the force right we don't fully understand what that is or what that means so that's ma- making it more softer i'm not going to say that i like that or i don't like that that's not we're not here for this but um i would say the force stance sits like right in the middle um i, I think so right. once again you don't have to yeah. have a super hard magic system you don't have to have a super soft um as long as you obey the, the laws you can fall anywhere on the scale all right that's a good take it's a good take i agree I'd completely forgotten about some of the things. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Sorry, like, I'm about to. I'm like two inches away from jumping into a rant about Star Wars and the Force. We're not. Uh, moving we, on. <laughs> we love Star Wars. We we have, we have a Star Wars campaign going right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and even in that campaign, I've used the Force as an explanation for weird magical things that the characters don't understand. Right. Uh, and that is fine because it's kind of been established as more of a softer thing in Star Wars. Um, but then also for Force users in the system that we're using, which is the Fantasy Flight game, like Edge of the Empire system, if you're a Force user, there are obviously rules to using the Force and ways you can do that, right? And so therefore, boom, right? Hard, harder magic system. Okay. All right. I've actually got another tangent. Yeah. I think. It would be really interesting to see if Wizards of the Coast could come to the table and figure out some way to port the simplicity of 5th edition's magic system into a more soft magic system, while still keeping it simple enough to understand and play through. What do you mean? I'm, I'm just wondering if they could make... Like, a soft magic system with enough rules to be able to play it, but still with, like, the simplicity and the balance of 5th edition. Sorry, it's just a thought experiment. I just, like, wonder what that would be like. 
Okay. I, I, I think I kind of get what you're saying. Like, making it more of, like, a narrative piece. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, okay, final one. Question. Oh, wait, no, did we do this one? Yeah, we already talked about this as in society. Okay. How many magic users exist in your world, and how do they perceive one another? Are they very rare? Are they very common? And... What is their outlook on other magic users? Yeah. Right? If they're very rare, do they see themselves as, like, a brotherhood, a family? Or do they see each other as, like, a freak of nature? Um, a, a competitor? You right. Know, there are a lot of things in there. And depending on how many there are, you can change that. Depending on the world, obviously, you change that. But it's good to understand because when you introduce a magic system, you're gonna have people who use that magic, and it's interesting when people run into each other. And when cool. they meet, so you want to figure out what are yeah. their like what's predisposition towards each other. Right. Um. Like Harry Potter, there's a bunch of wizards and witches in that world, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, some are, like, cool, and they're, like, the Ministry in Hogwarts, and then some are bad dudes, like Death Eaters and stuff, right? I don't really remember. I haven't read or seen the <laughs> books or seen the movies in a while. I think yeah. it's something like that. Are there other mm -hmm. factions? I don't really recall. Also, there's Squibs, which is, like, the most bummer thing in the world, which is someone who was born in a wizard family, but they somehow, for some reason, don't have... Magical powers. That's just so depressing. That's the most depressing thought ever. Um, and then there are... I can't think of the politically correct term, so I'm going to get cancelled and say Mudblood, who um, are born in muggle families, but they have magical powers, right? Yeah. Um, and so they all, and they all view each other differently, right? Mm-hmm be based on other things and not necessarily based on the fact that they have magic i would say right well yes they 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 view people with magic different than they view people who don't have magic they view them like right. they like have more similarities and more things in common but it's not like oh i everyone who has magic is a competitor to me, or everyone who has magic is an enemy to me. Something mm -hmm. like that. Exactly. Okay, that's all we have to talk about uh, with with magic. So we got the the, for, the laws. Let's go over them again real quick. First law: an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Big one. Second law is limitations greater than power. Uh, I, okay, I lost it. Third law, expand on what you have already <laughs> before you add something new. And Zareth law is air on the side of awesome. Yeah. Uh, magic is really fun, and it's really cool to put into your world. And definitely, like, if you're a fan of hard magic systems, like Avatar, Fullmetal Alchemist, or Brand Sanderson's books or whatever, you're going to be tempted, uh, and you're going to want to put hard magic systems in your books, like I am right now. Um, in my stories, I love hard magic systems. 
Um, and that's a lot of fun building those. Um, and it's also fun, you know, to create like a more mystical, wondrous Narnia Middle Earth world with a softer magic system. Whatever you like, whatever suits your story. Um, but I think magic, I mean, magic is like, like the primary staple of fantasy. Um, and once again, how we kind of talked about today, when we say magic, it's not always like in fantasy, right? It's not always magic. It could also be superpowers or whatever, right? Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, um, I'm really excited, uh, for you guys to start building magic in your world and start constructing your magic systems. I would definitely suggest listening to Brandon Sanderson's lectures on writing science fiction and fantasy. You can find them on YouTube, his BYU lectures. Um, he has a couple episodes on the magic system. Um, and I think to hear it from him is, is really helpful. Um, but, uh, yeah, Gabe, is there anything else you want to say about magics before we go to closing? Um... As always, with all these world-building episodes, always ask yourself the one question, yes. how does this affect the rest of my world? Yep. So you always want to keep that in mind. want to reiterate that here, because we've done with every single one of these episodes. It's a really important thing to keep in mind, everything that you do in world-building. And secondly, have fun with it. Make some interesting magic systems. Have fun with magic in your world. And write it. Play it. Do it. Do we it. need more fantasy and need more people interested in it and people doing that. So please. Please do it. Don't get too distracted by all these things we're laying out here in these episodes. That you can too overwhelmed. These are just guidelines and things to help you along the way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we go pretty deep in these episodes. I so don't feel like you have to start off your world going super detailed into everything. Definitely. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Um, uh, that's that's it. That's the end of our world building series. Adieu, adieu. You served us well. Um, we only have one series going, that means, now. Mm -hmm. Which is... Uh, Class rebuilds. Class rebuilds, yeah. Maybe we'll come up with another one. Cause I like I like the uh, doing like a, a part of a series and then a, a regular episode, part of a series, regular episode. That kind of format is fun. So yeah. every month, you get one of each series and then two regular episodes between them. Um, I like that. So maybe we'll come up with a new series or whatever. I totally forgot about that because we just ended world building. Um, but hey, guys, check us on Instagram at d20 underscore academy and our Discord. We just and our ended world building. Sorry? We just ended the world building. We, we killed it. We killed it. It's we over. destroyed it. Uh, yes. What do we have <laughs> next week? I don't know. Not, We've not written it down. Rebuild. Do we not even have an episode? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, hey, this is a great yeah. idea. To, great time to join our Discord and leave suggestion for us. Yes. Before you we figure episode, out what we're doing next. Go over to our Instagram, comment on our posts, message us, we're getting into our Discord. You can say, like, hey, I really want you to talk about X. Yeah. So, look out for that episode <laughs> next week. <laughs> uh, and then the week after that, we're going to do the class rebuild on the Bard. So excited for that one. Bard's my favorite class. Bard is the best class, objectively. Um, so, <laughs> really... <laughs> Really excited uh, to do that one. 
Um, but, you know, see you next week when we're talking about whatever we're going to talk about. Probably going to be awesome. Go listen to it. Hey, <laughs> thanks for sticking with us. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, play a mystic. Don't, don't play a mystic. I knew you were going to say <laughs>